Hi, this is James Barris. I hope you find this talk supports you in your practice. If you'd like to support my teaching, you can use the donate button underneath my picture on Dharma Seed to do that. Your support is greatly appreciated. Every now and then, um, some event occurs that brings the whole collective consciousness, whether of a of a region or of a country or of the world together, and when or at least thinking about it uh, all at once. And when that happens. Um, it seems um, important that uh, that we look at it here, since um, that's what's on everybody or many people's minds. How many people have been thinking about this uh, Gulf spill that has been in their minds a lot? Yeah. So I thought about giving other talks, other Dharma talks, but um, I just couldn't, and I. I don't have any answers. I wish I had some answers. And it's funny, or not funny, but it's kind of uh, sad. Everybody seems to want Obama to have an answer and figure this out. And uh, he's not an engineer uh, that knows about offshore drilling. Uh, and the experts are struggling for answers. So I don't have much to offer you other than to um, explore how we can hold this, how we can work with it as part of our practice. And it's everywhere. This is last week's Newsweek, Crude Awakening. It's all over the seal of the United States. And uh, this week, what will the spill, what the spill will kill And it will kill a lot. I think maybe I will start off by sharing some of that letter from this um, Native American elder, Chief Arvel Looking Horse, um, 19th generation keeper of the sacred. This is an email that Betsy Rose sent out uh, about this event and her response to his, his letter. Uh, My relatives, time has come to speak to the hearts of our nations and their leaders. I ask you from from the bottom of my heart to come together from the spirit of your nations in prayer. We from the heart of Turtle Island have a great message for the world. We are guided to speak from all the white animals, whatever that is, there's capitals, uh, showing their sacred color, which have been signs for us to pray for the sacred life of all things. As I'm sending this message to you, many animal nations are being threatened. Those that swim, those that crawl, those that fly, and the plant nations, eventually all will be affected from the oil disaster in the Gulf. The dangers we are faced with at this time are not of spirit. The catastrophe that's happened with the oil spill, which looks like the bleeding of Grandmother Earth, is made by human mistakes, mistakes that we cannot afford to continue to make. 
I ask as spiritual leaders that we join together, united in prayer with the whole of our global communities. My concern is these serious issues will continue to worsen as a domino effect that our ancestors have warned us of in their prophecies. I know in my heart there are millions of people that feel our united prayers for the sake of our grandmother Earth are long overdue. I believe we as spiritual people must gather ourselves and focus our thoughts and prayers to allow the healing of the many wounds that have been inflicted on the earth. As we honor the cycle of life, let us call for prayer circles globally to assist in healing Grandmother Earth. We ask for prayers that the oil spill, this bleeding will stop, that the winds stay calm to assist in the work. Pray for the people to be guided in repairing this mistake and that we may also seek to live in harmony as we make the choice to change the destructive path we are on. As we pray, we will fully understand that we are all connected and that we, what we create can have lasting effects on all life. So let us unite spiritually, all nations, all faiths, one prayer, along with this immediate effort. I also ask to please remember June 21st, World Peace and Prayer Day, honoring Sacred Sites Day. Um, let us make a prayer for all life, for good decisions made by, by our nations, for our children's future and well-being and the generations to come. <clears throat> As I read this week's Newsweek um, articles, and there were a number of articles, it just... Uh, Tears it at the heart. Um, I'll just read a little bit. Some of the species: leatherback turtles and sperm whales, sharks, shrimp, and squid—all inhabitants of the deep. Marlin, snapper, and grouper swim hundreds of feet down. Biggest losses may be bluefin tuna. Uh, this could spell the end to the bluefin. One expert says. Worst effect of large-scale death in the Gulf is nothing as photogenic as dead pelicans, but much more pernicious. The organisms most likely to be harmed by the oil plumes are those at the base of the food chain. Most of the primary producers, such as phytoplankton, live through, throughout the water column. Effects on them would cascade to larger species that we care about. <clears throat> Without deep-sea organisms, dead marine creatures would accumulate like bottles and cans in places without deposit laws. Uniquely in the crosshairs are creatures living at or near the seafloor, deep-sea corals, jellyfish, soft-bottom fish. Um, three coral reefs live in the area under the surface slick. Of special concern are the hundreds of seep communities in the Gulf, enclaves of crustaceans, weird tube worms, tiny fish, mussels, and crabs that live near natural gashes in the seafloor. Just goes on and on. <clears throat> what do you do with that? One thing I uh, want to share also with you is this 
new book uh, that's come out called Earth, with two A's in it, by Bill McKibben, who I saw, uh, he was here in Berkeley a few weeks ago, uh, or last month. He's a pretty amazing guy. Um, The subtitle is Making a Life on a Tough New Planet. And he has all the facts. He, 20 years ago, wrote The End of Nature, where he was predicting some of these catastrophes. And he's, um, he's a scientist and an activist um, who has now come out with, okay, this is the problem, and these are some of the tough solutions that we might consider. Uh, I'll just read a little bit of what he sees as part of the problem. He's mostly concerned with carbon footprint um, because it's reaching a particular critical point at which lots of things can go wrong. But this is the place where he talks a little bit about oil. Uh, Production in current oil fields is falling by about 7% a year a figure that will rise steadily to 9% over the next few decades. In other words, the level of oil in these giant fields has dropped far enough that we can no longer get as much as we used to. Never mind fueling the growing Asian thirst for oil, simply running in place would mean finding four new Saudi Arabias by 2030. But since demand will keep rising in Asia... 92% of American adults own cars compared with 6% of Chinese. And elsewhere, staying abreast will mean finding six new Saudi Arabias or a new Kuwait every year. The uh, IEA, what is it? International Energy Agency, put it in dollar figures. Keeping up our oil economy will require $350 billion in exploration and investment every year through 2030. That's compared with a total of $390 billion that the world spent on those items for the whole period of 2000 through 2007 when the economy was booming. Merrill Lynch analysts using numbers from non-OPEC oil fields calculated that we'll need Ten, sorry, 10 new Saudi Arabias by 2030. That's every year. So, um, doesn't look so good. On the old planet, the one with an Arctic ice cap, the one where hurricanes didn't strike Spain and Brazil, the one where jellyfish didn't bloom in great slimy clouds across the nation, across the oceans, we had one Saudi Arabia and one Kuwait. They sat atop enormous pools of oil. Now, every day, more so, they sit atop big empty holes. And there are no more Saudi Arabias, no matter how much money you have. So what does modernity, that's his name for the new civilization that we've entered upon, disappear? So does modernity disappear along with the oil? It's a question worth asking when six of the 12 largest companies in the world are fossil fuel providers, four make cars and trucks, and one, General Electric, is, as its name implies, heavily involved in the energy industry. Just buying fossil fuel requires almost a tenth of global gross gross 
GDP, gross domestic product, and almost all the other 90% depends on burning the stuff. <clears throat> so this is, uh, I'll just give you a little taste of what he talks about. The, last, the second part of his book is how we would radically have to change because he is actually hopeful. He says, we've got to figure out a new way. There's no getting around this. And um, here's the scoop. You might as well kind of keep it in your consciousness. And it might not be that bad a thing if we can figure it out how to do it. Here's a good metaphor. The economy has defined our Western, that has defined our Western world is like a racehorse, fleet and showy. It's bred for speed with narrow, tapered legs. Tap tap it on the haunch, and it accelerates down the backstretch. But don't put it on a track where the rain has turned things muddy. Know that even a small bump in its path will break its stride and quite likely snap that thin and speedy leg. The thoroughbred, like our economy, has been optimized for one thing only, pure burning swiftness. Also, both are now owned mostly by sheiks. What we need to do, even while we're in the saddle, is transform our racehorse into a workhorse, into something dependable, even-tempered, long-lasting, uncomplaining. Won't go fast, will go long. Won't win the laurel, will carry the day. The highest high praise for a workhorse is she's steady, she can pull. We're talking walk or trot or jog, not canter or gallop. It goes on. So, um, as I was gathering thoughts today, I was listening to uh, one of my uh, inspiring uh, heroes, Julia Butterfly Hill, and uh, she has a, a, a beautiful set of uh, talks called Spiritual Activation. And she talks about the ability to transform our pain and to stay positive is crucial. And it came for her, and it probably comes for most people through letting the heart be broken. That um, she was broken living up in in the tree, that great redwood Luna. And um, she went through rage and numbness. And finally, her ability, she realized her ability to care and to feel deeply was what enabled her eventually to find some courage and positive expression of that caring. And that's what we're all called to do, to, um, to feel what we feel and somehow make it, let it touch us and move us in a way that um, we're just not stuck in despair. Like Joanna Macy talks about, despair and empowerment, that you move from that place of stuckness to feeling, I need to do something. Or another teacher, uh, Angelus Arian, talks 
says that action absorbs anxiety. Even if it's, you have no idea how to fix the, the top of the, that spewing leak, that doing something engages your caring heart. So, um, first, I want to do um, a, an exercise with you, but first I want to maybe uh, ask a few comments. How are you working with this in your own mind or your own heart in a way that uh, might be helpful to, uh, to share if you're using it in some way as part of your practice? Mm. Just wondering if there's any comments here. So, could you pass this right behind you, over there? And put it right next to your lips on an angle. That's it. Okay. Um, well, at first, I felt um, the best thing I could do was not use a car. Was what? Not use a car. Not use a car. Ah. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, and for a while I've been determined not to have a car. Um, so I was biking. And that's great, but I was still in the same pace of life that I would have had with a car. And then my knees started hurting me, so I started walking and taking the bus, which is, in a way, returning to the use of petroleum a little bit. But the pace of my life slowed down. And I began to converse with the people on the bus, waiting for the bus, Uh, to watch the people walking by, the children, the old people, saying hi to people. And I realized there's something there, some sort of healing that that goes on when somebody slows their life down. Mm-hmm. I've I've had to cut out activities mm-hmm. because there isn't the time to walk from one thing to another, or there isn't necessarily the time to wait for the bus. Mm-hmm. But I found it's worth it. Thank you. So you've slowed down and have more contact with, with people as a result. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Thank you. That's oh, I wanted to add another cute little uh, uh, story. When I was in high school, I read a book, Phantom Tollbooth, and, and mm-hmm. part, of the, part of the book was about, or one part of the story was about a city that had disappeared because everybody was so busy running from one place to another, nobody saw it. Mm-hmm. So right. it just sort of disappeared. <laughs> I <laughs> thought that was sort of interesting. <laughs> Thanks. Any, any other comments? Mm-hmm. Oh. Um, I think... I think my experience around that first was actually quite a bit of pain. That's how I first experienced it. And um, 
Similarly, I had the same thing of, well, I just continued to ride my bicycle. That was part of it. And then I think I also realized that that's not a possibility. This is such an, an ingrained, pervasive situation. Mm-hmm. How is that possible to change everything? Mm-hmm. And one of the thoughts that crossed my mind was, well, if I'm not going to drive, if I'm gonna, not going to stop driving completely, maybe I could just park a block away. You know, like walk a block. And, and I guess that was helpful of thinking, what little things can I do mm-hmm. that rather than have a lot of inactivity, of, mm-hmm. of negative, you know, hanging with negative, we're, like we're doomed. Mm-hmm. And uh, one other, I think, reflection for me that was um, helpful was it's, it's like the characters that are, I think the fellow's name is Tony Hayward, who was the head of BP, and making somewhat silly comments and mm-hmm. gets to be the uh, scapegoat. Or the, the, the person who gets all the blame, it's all his fault or something, or it's them. Mm-hmm. And that was my reflection there of, it's, it's, it really is, it's like it's me, it's us, it's not them. Mm-hmm. I'm going, I'm buying the gas, I'm turning the lights on, I've got my lifestyle that I'm very comfortable with. Mm-hmm. And one other piece then is, I think, this thing of what would a lifestyle be like? Can I, can I envision what it would be like? And does that give me some sort of possibility of a future that is possible? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Great. Thank you. Yeah, Julia Butterfly Hill talks about um, the necessity to let go of attachments and the primary one being letting go of comfortability that we're so we're so used to so um i think i'd like to uh, do this uh, exercise with you and um first i'd just like for you to go inside for a moment and um Maybe you have been thinking about this a lot. Maybe you haven't. Let's just take a few moments and let it in. Let yourself feel whatever you feel. Let go of trying to figure out any answers or what your response is. But right now, first... um, Open to the feelings. And whatever your feelings are, are just yours. There's no right or wrong in this. Maybe you don't have um, the pain that you think you might or you should. Um, Just be right where you are and let yourself be authentic and connected. There might be lots of different feelings. Notice the various responses 
whether it's pain or rage or confusion or despair or hope or whatever. And as you um, let yourself feel them, hold them with a very kind awareness. See if you can access the Kuan Yin in you, that embodiment of compassion for your own feelings or, and for the world, or the earth. And then for a few moments, see if anything comes up as you reflect on how you could use this situation as part of your own Dharma practice, your own awakening. Because that, that's the secret to have our feelings touch us, and open to a deeper way to become more aware and more caring. Okay, you can gently open your eyes now. Okay, now what I'd like to do with you is a um, simple exercise. Um, and this is a, it's a modified exercise of Joanna Macy's uh, that she writes about in Coming Back to Life. And uh, I'd like you to get into uh, groups of three triads. Okay, so... Why don't you do that now, and then I'll tell you the next part. Uh, and you can, uh, you can look around, raise your hand if you need someone, and you can also do it in a dyad if there's not a third person around. But just take a look and see who needs someone. Do four if you want. Okay, any, uh, do you have any groups of two looking for somebody? Any dyads looking for somebody? Okay. okay, so what, I think we'll have enough time to do this and then come back. Um, the people, who in, if you're in groups of four, you might have to shorten the, the time per person. Um, there's a two-part uh, aspect to um, that each of you will will do the first you'll go around in order one person at a time and one person is going to have two two um, things to do and then move to the second person and the third person uh, first person um, decide who goes 
first. Um, and you'll first talk about this issue and your own, um, just your own feelings, your own response to it. Maybe whatever just came up from that reflection. Just your own experience, your own point of view, but, and particularly your feelings about uh, this issue. Okay? And you'll have three minutes to do that. Okay? And then we'll just stop and go to the second part. Okay, ready? Uh, find out who's going to go first. No, one person is going to go for three minutes. One person is going to go for three minutes and just share all your feelings, responses, anything like that. Okay, ready? Go. Just stop and uh, feel what you're feeling right now. Okay. Now I'd like the same person to uh, talk again, but this time... Uh, from the point of view of a non-human in that region, one of those animals, one of those fishes, or a jellyfish, and talk from, as first person, how this is affecting you, okay? And uh, we're shortening it to about two and a half minutes, so um, go ahead. Go. It was inappropriate of me to come ambush No, no, not at all. I'm not. I'm not. Okay, stop for a moment. And just again, let yourself feel what you're feeling. Okay, so now the second person, first from your own actual experience, what's your, your feelings, your thoughts, how you're dealing with it? Go ahead. Okay, finish up and just go inside for a moment. Feel what you're feeling.
Okay, now the same person from the point of view of uh, another species that's affected by this um, talk in that first person. Okay, go. Okay, stop, and again go inside, notice what you feel, hold it with kind awareness. Okay, now third person, your own experience, your own feelings, your own internal response. Go ahead and share now. Finishing up, once again, go inside, feel whatever you're feeling, hold it with a kind awareness. Okay, and finally, from that point of view of another species affected by this, go ahead. Okay, start finishing up. Once again, yeah. Go inside. And just notice what the whole exercise oops, might have brought up for you. How to hold it wisely. What in the pain, what does it have to teach me? As, as Julia says, the more we face the challenges and move through them, the more loving and joyous we can become. And the more we can really make a difference.
Okay, you can thank your partners and let's just come back together as a group for the last few minutes. So, um, where's the microphone? Is the microphone anywhere around? You got it? Uh, here, why don't you just hold on and see who... So, let's, uh, let's check in. We just have a, a few minutes left. Anything that might be useful to share for all of us? Yeah. Okay, okay let's come on back now as a group. Shh. That group over there. Come on back. In the, the, second, uh, the second question, the second ex- exercise, uh-huh. the thing that came up for me um, was Katrina and thinking about, you know, how do these animals, how, how do these animals feel and thinking, well, how do I know what an animal feels? But then when I think of the human experience of actually drowning in your own home and having nowhere to go and no food and death and it just, it made me think about Katrina and just that experience and um it actually it tapped it I was able to tap into more of this feeling of connection with what that would be like from uh the critter e- experience mm-hmm. being there in the Gulf. And tapping into that, how was that to tap into? It actually felt good. Um it felt good. How how so? Um I think just it, it allowed me to have more of an open experience of it. Um, yeah. That, that is the kind of mysterious thing that we kind of protect ourselves from feeling, oh my God, I can't go there. But when you do and you feel your heart just, it's tenderizing. Um, <coughs> suffering tenderizes the heart. And especially if you're listened to, if you're witnessed, that's even more of a, um, a connection. So, thank you. Anything else? Just uh, hang on, why don't you? Here, hang on, let, let, uh, let us hear you. Uh, about a year ago, I took a class with the Animal Bird Rescue Society, mm-hmm. and they're doing good work, and I just wanted to remind people that birds have a really high chance of survival if they're caught. When they're completely drenched in oil, it looks awful, but they're the ones who have a chance to survive, and donating money, or if anyone has time to go and learn and help, it's the International Animal and Bird Rescue mm-hmm. Society, and they do have a website, so Great. just wanted to point Thank that you. out. Anything else? Anybody else? Yeah, right behind you. Yeah. Uh, a question came up for me about the concept of, of near enemies, of uh, equanimity being indifference, or you know, how much is too much to care, what's the wise choice there, and how to kind of find that place. Uh, I've swung, I suppose, from indifference to uh, probably judgment, too much judgment, um, and kind of finding that middle ground. Mm-hmm. That's kind of more of a question than a comment. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it, I don't know if there's a 
if you can say the right amount, but the way I I hold it is uh, equanimity and compassion are they work together, and if the equanimity is so spacious that you don't feel connected, then you you need to move further into that place where you do let your heart feel connected. If it gets to the point where it's getting overwhelm, overwhelming or you're losing your, uh, your balance and, um, and it's, it's too painful to handle from a centered place, then that's where the spaciousness helps you hold that. And equanimity has to do, or part of it, has to do with seeing a bigger picture in the whole in the whole process, um, and seeing that there is an unfolding of mysterious karma in there. I was just speaking to um, this fellow who left early, who was part of the Exxon Valdez cleanup, uh, and he said that it, it just tore him apart. Uh, but he was also saying that, well, perhaps this can be a wake-up call to prevent or to kind of have a, a paradigm shift in how we think about things. So that's where a little bit seeing the bigger picture, as painful as this current slice of time is, uh, there is uh, perhaps a, another another perspective to hold it in a bit. So you have to just see how, how centered or how off balance you are, how connected or how disconnected you are. Okay, so it's, it's just about time to go. I wanted to mention um, another email that I got uh, just before, uh, uh, or that came late afternoon. This was from the Environmental Defense Action Fund that said, we have some great news. This is today. Moments ago, the Senate voted 53 to 47 to reject the bill offered by Senator Lisa Murkowski uh, that would have stripped EPA of its authority to regulate carbon pollution and let big polluters off the hook. This vote was both substantively and symbolically important and shows that the majority of the Senate understands the need to act to address America's global warming pollution. The... um, Environmental Defense Fund's National Climate Campaign Director issued the following statement. Step one was defeating this attack on the Clean Air Act. As we heard many senators on both sides of this vote say today, Congress now needs to act. It's up to Congress to deal with our oil addiction and cut carbon pollution. So little by little shifts of consciousness. I, I hope as you continue you know, to read the news that you hold this in the context of practice, letting your heart be broken as it will, but not going into despair and thinking that there is no hope and just seeing, okay, how can I open up to this in a way that I learn something from it and that I... Um, find a way to incorporate it as in practice and also to hold it in a bigger perspective where I still have my um, caring heart able to, to open up and feel without being overwhelmed. So um, 
we just close with a very short loving kindness because it's it's time. And just let yourself feel your heart center and open up to include all the living beings, human and otherwise, in the Gulf region. And offer our prayers to them. May you be free of suffering. May you feel all the caring of so many. And then to the planet itself, may you feel our caring and our love and appreciation of this amazing planet. And may we learn from our mistakes, learn our lessons, and keep waking up as part of the process. May all beings awaken and feel their love and share their love well. Thank you very much. See you in a couple of weeks. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.